Well, good morning. It is good to see you all this morning, and believe it or not, when I came in this morning, there was this strange substance falling from the sky, and I'm hoping that it continues a little bit. It's good to get some of that rain. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Philippians chapter 4, where we'll spend our morning together in the Word of God. As you're turning there, we, uh, we're going to be studying a, a critical and important topic as believers, and that is this idea of thank you. And this morning as I sat here listening, I, uh, my throat was getting dry a little bit, and so I, I took a drink of water, and I just listened to you all sing, and I want to express my gratitude for you all singing this morning. It's been a long weekend for my family and a lot of things going on this weekend as we celebrated Katie's graduation and uh, many of you participated in that. Thank you as well for that. Uh, but it's one of those mornings where it's kind of tough to get uh, my mind wrapped around the text. And so just listening to you sing was a blessing to me. And so thank you. Uh, we praise the Lord together and it is out of a spirit of gratitude that we're able to sharpen one another. And that is where Paul is at this morning. In our self-serving culture, we struggle to express gratitude, do we not? We are those who like to have it our way and will complain until we get it our way. And we don't want to look at what we have. We want to look at what we do not have and what should be provided for us. And so we struggle to express gratitude. I found a, a humorous illustration for us to help us understand where we are at as a culture. The staff members at a national park that's known for its hiking trails and spectacular views of God's creation shared a number of comment cards they received. If you've ever had the opportunity to look at comment cards, these are fascinating um, microcosms of human nature. And there are certainly, there's eight of these, and some of them are humorous, and some of them are like, are you serious? You actually wrote that? I'm going to read just eight of them. First, these are comments in a national park. Remind yourselves that this is outdoors. This is not indoors. This is out in the wilds. And the first one is, and this one's, this one's the ah, that's sweet kind of one. The first one, trails need to be wider. So people can walk while holding hands. Aww. Second, <laughs> please pave the trails so they can be snow plowed in the winter. <laughs> this one is good. After having been in Alaska a couple weeks ago, please avoid building trails that go uphill. <laughs> Keep those flat. Uh, this one's even better. Escalators would help on steep uphill sections. <laughs> McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. I agree with that one. Uh, this one, the coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate those annoying animals. And this one, I don't know how this happened. I, I've racked my brain wondering how this even made it on a comment card, how it even happened. Seven, a small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there any way I can get reimbursed? <laughs> I've never seen a deer eat pickles, but I can imagine he's running through the woods with a jar of pickles in his mouth. Last one, and this one is the one, are you serious? Uh, too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. 
please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. How's that for gratitude? How's that for gratitude? For the beauty of creation before the people who would venture out into the wild, clearly, I mean, when deer are stealing pickles, it's pretty wild. How's that for gratitude? The idea that we focus on this morning is this, the most famous thank you letter in history demonstrates a biblical example of gratitude to God and the people of God. Beloved, we have a lot to learn from Paul's gratitude this morning. Paul is going to zero in on really the purpose of the letter to the Philippians. He's had some instructions along the way, and that takes up the body of the letter. There's been some imperatives. I want you to do this in obedience to the Lord, and those are essentials. But Paul is focused on the reason for the letter in these few verses that we study today. His gratitude for the Philippian believer's gift. But Paul's gratitude is going to teach us not just of the heart of the one receiving, but also the heart of the one giving. And so we have lessons to learn on gratitude and also lessons to learn on those who give and how we give and how we ought to give. And so Paul is very instructive to us this morning. We're going to begin in Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. And hopefully at the end of this, you will not find any comment cards where you can write something that expresses less than gratitude. Uh, let us begin in a word of prayer this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful we say that with a full recognition of the passage that is before us and the expression of the gratitude of the apostle who's under house arrest, forced to pay for his own meals, his own housing, even the guard that he's chained to. I praise you that Paul expresses in this moment a heart of gratitude and a heart that is overflowing with gratitude. Lord, I pray that each one of our thank you notes each one of our texts expressing gratitude, each one of our conversations that are expressed in a thankful attitude would be now changed from the passage we study. That we'd be those who are quick to see what you are doing in the giver and the receiver. Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to be those who are generous in our meeting the needs, especially of the gospel workers that we minister with. We're thinking of our missions family and others who dedicate their time and energy to the Word of God and to its proclamation to the lost. Lord, we praise you for the time we can spend together this morning, and we ask that you would give us understanding hearts, that we, as Paul, would burst out in praise, doxological praise, as we consider this attitude of gratitude. And we give you the glory and the honor for it as we study it together this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all of these things. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Paul has been building up over the last few verses to this point. He's been building up to this point of expressing gratitude. We saw it last week just in somewhat of an introduction. And Paul now fully embraces it as he comes into verse 15. And he starts by reminding us of the gratitude for faithful partners. His gratitude for faithful partners. And he says this in verses 15 and 16, he says, And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And so Paul jumps in now with both feet. He's been working to this point, but now he is going to speak directly to the gift that has been given to him. And he reminds us of the ministry of Philippi, Philippi's ministry. Philippi's ministry to Paul has been extensive. Paul's reason for writing to the church at Philippi was to thank them for the funds and the care that they sent through Epaphroditus. And so all the way back to chapter 2, when we began to study Epaphroditus and Timothy, we really see Paul saying, thank you for sending Epaphroditus to me. And he goes through the character of Epaphroditus, and he lays out the characteristics which exemplify godliness, and we studied that several weeks ago. We praise the Lord for Epaphroditus and the example that he is. And now Paul takes that foundation And he's built on it some over the recent weeks, and now he is built to this point. And he says to the Philippians, thank you. Thank you. Paul expresses, or as Paul rather expresses his thanks, he takes his readers back to the beginning when Paul arrived at Philippi. It's interesting that throughout the entire letter uh, to the Philippians, Paul does not take us on a historical journey. He does not take us back to how and when the church got started. He does remind us that it is there, and he does look back, but he reminds them that you all were there in the beginning with me. And so I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start here in the letter. I don't have time to go back to the history. Just know the relationship that has been built. It is a close friendship that has been built between Paul and the Philippian believers. We, in our study of Philippians, went back to Acts 16, and we recognize that when Paul came to Philippi, there were no Christians. He didn't come in and find a group of believers meeting who had been reached for the sake of Christ at some point prior to Paul. No, Paul arrives and he can find no believers in Philippi, none who are willing even to listen to his preaching. And so what does Paul do? He goes to the river where the women are gathered and he goes there and he starts to share the gospel and Lydia comes to Christ. And then you have the demonic girl who comes to Christ. And then you have Paul arrested and thrown into prison, and there's the great earthquake, and uh, Paul doesn't leave, even though the bars have been rattled loose. Paul and all of the prisoners remain, and the guard who was about to kill himself hears the voices from inside the jail and realizes that Paul and all of the prisoners are still there, and he comes to Christ as Savior, and his whole household. And so we see the very early fledgling position of the church, and then Paul is driven out. He's driven out of Philippi. Paul starts by going back to that moment, to the moment he's driven out of Philippi, and he says, you yourselves know. Paul doesn't need to remind the Philippian believers that they lived and partnered with Paul, that they lived out the events that Paul could have historically gone back to. They lived it. They were there. They watched the crowds. Paul says, I don't have to go back. You yourselves know, but now I'm telling you thank you for your care and generosity, demonstrated through your loyal support that resulted with Epaphroditus coming to me, bearing a financial gift and a gift of love and care. 
to this point, the Philippians had given at times, we're not sure the historical record doesn't give us many of the details, but at times the Philippians would send money to Paul. And so Paul would receive a, a gift from them at various times. And Paul says here, even in Thessalonica, when I was next door, so I was in Macedonia, no one supported me. I left Macedonia and only the Philippians supported me. And when I was next door, you have Philippi on one side of Macedonia. You have Thessalonica, who's their next door neighbors. It says, when I was in Thessalonica, you didn't forget me there. You didn't say, well, Paul's not here, so we're not going to support him. The Philippian believers supported Paul in Thessalonica as well as when he was in Philippi and on the rest of his journey. The Philippians' care and generosity had been demonstrated time and time and time again for Paul. And now, as they had occasion, they would catch up to Paul wherever he was and financial aid would arrive. And they were the only ones. Paul, under house arrest, as we've said throughout our letter that we studied together, Paul is not able to generate an income, but he is also responsible for all of his expenses. So his housing, the guard that's chained to him, the food, the clothing, the writing supplies Paul had to pay for. The word that should capture our attention in verse 15 is uh, translated in some of your translations as alone. It is translated as no church entered into partnership with me in the ESV. No one but you alone, Philippians, partnered with me. One author writes this, and this is something we should dedicate attention to as well. He says one of the reasons the Philippian church is worth remembering is because they remembered Paul. No one else did. No one else remembered Paul. And now Paul is going to draw this heart out of this letter to show to them his gratitude. Notice as he speaks of their enduring faithfulness. The end of verse 15, No church, you alone, entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. Paul is saying, you... Paul is saying, I may have done the preaching, but you are partners in the ministry with me. The Philippian believers didn't have the opportunities that Paul had. But that doesn't mean that they weren't equal in Paul's ministry. And Paul is drawing that out. He's saying, you alone stood with me when I faced the trials that I faced. You alone stood with me when I would enter into Thessalonica and a church would be planted in Thessalonica. You alone were with me when I was imprisoned and hauled off to Rome, and you have been there with me alone financially as the gospel would go from the time I was in Philippi to the time I was in Rome, and the new gift from Epaphroditus has come. Paul views their work as equal to his. Have you ever sat down with a missionary and heard their testimony of your participation in their ministry? If you've never done that, that's a, an important question to ask. Ask a missionary how you are partners with them. Our attitude towards missionaries should be they are part of our church family 
extension, yes, but they are our church family, and we partner with them, and they partner with us. We are working together as equals. Paul mentions that even when he was next door in Thessalonica, the Philippians had sent gifts for his needs. There was no competition between Philippi and Thessalonica. The Philippian believers wanted a church to be established in Thessalonica, and they met the need financially. At a time when all other churches, like the one in Rome, were criticizing Paul for his methods, and specifically his emphasis on grace, the church at Philippi never gave up on Paul. They would never forget him, and in turn, he would refuse to forget them. So Paul is speaking of their enduring faithfulness. In fact, they are the church that is held up to the Corinthian church as being the one that has supplied his needs. And also to tend for the needs of those in Jerusalem. So we see Paul speaking of their enduring faithfulness. But we want to entertain this idea of sharing into Paul's reward. That's where Paul goes and It's a fascinating venture. Let's go together with him. Verse 17, he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. How many of us have written a thank you note and said, Thank you for the gift? And we leave it at that. Thank you for this or thank you for that. And and that is a noble thing, but Paul says, It's not just the gift that I have an attitude of gratitude for. It's not just the gift that I'm thankful for. We begin to notice Paul's focus and really what Paul is most thankful for. Paul's thank you letter is quite different from most other thank yous. Paul is overjoyed to receive the gift. Not just because of what it means to him, but more importantly, what it means for the Philippians. What it means for them. The gift that they had sent to Paul was going to benefit them as much as it was going to benefit him. Paul's focus was first on the work that God would do in the hearts of the giver of the gift. And it's important that we understand that the Philippians were not giving out of an abundance. Now, Lydia, perhaps, had resources. We know that Lydia was a seller of purple fabric, and probably of the higher echelons of society, but the church at Philippi was not a wealthy church. The church at Philippi was a church that was impoverished in most ways. But they're still giving to the Apostle Paul. They're still giving to his ministry despite the costs of doing ministry in Philippi. And there are important lessons to be learned concerning the giving, giving to, in that kind of way, giving to the work of ministry. Paul's focus is narrowing in specifically on the compounding interest, the compounding interest of giving. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credits. There is a compounding interest. There has been an investment made in the life of the Apostle Paul, and now there is a compounding interest that is beginning to take effect. The interest is adding up in the accounts of these believers. Another author writes this, whenever you invest in someone's ministry, whenever you share financially in the gospel efforts, you're investing in spiritual blue chip stock, 
and the dividends will last forever. Consider just briefly as we're beginning to just begin to scratch the surface of this gratitude of the apostle, consider for a moment the compounding interest of the Philippians' gift to the apostle Paul. Today, you are still participating in the compounding interest to the Philippians' account. Talk about a massive return on the investment. That is what Paul is drawing out. Many churches, many churches had the opportunity, but only the Philippians were found faithful. Not the church in Rome. Paul's in Rome. He's not receiving visitors from the church in Rome. The believers in Rome, actually there's division and there's schism in Rome, and many of the believers in Rome are following those who are accusing and attacking Paul that he brought all of this onto himself. And that if he would just ease off his message of grace, then all of this would go away. The Philippians stood firm. The church in Thessalonica, which we're going to study in our next study, the church in Thessalonica is, is a strong, healthy, faithful church, but financially they weren't invested in the Apostle Paul. The church at Antioch that had sent Paul and Barnabas out on their first missionary journey, and Paul and Silas thereafter, they had given significantly to those missionary endeavors, but had forgotten the Apostle Paul. The Philippians, their compounding interest is still reaping benefits. The Philippians alone would support the strategic gospel ambassador named Paul. Today, think of the strategic support potential like compounding interest as we invest in the work of the gospel going forth. This is why we want missionaries as part of our fellowship. This is why we are thrilled with the videos that we just saw, the report, the thank you, and how appropriate that was for the timing. We praise the Lord for the work that is being done in our communities and communities out beyond our communities and around the world. And we invest strategically in those we invest our time and our talents and our treasures think of the strategic support potential compounding interest as we invest in the work of god several years ago and i've shared this illustration in various classes but uh, to you i'm going to share this illustration Uh, several years ago i was in hong kong and I was, in, I was looking for gifts through a gift shop, a Christian gift shop there in Hong Kong. And I walked in and we struck up a conversation with the girl behind the counter. And she was able to trace her spiritual heritage all the way back to Hudson Taylor. The missionary who abandoned all forms of Western dress and most European churches dropped their support for him. She could trace her spiritual lineage, to Hudson Taylor. Think of the compounding interest of those who preserved with Paul. Think of the compounding interest of those who preserved with Hudson Taylor and continue to press on and support the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is sharing, he's reminding them that they are sharing in his reward, that they alone are sharing in the way that they are 
with Paul's ministry. And he reminds them then, not only, not only is he reminding them of their participation in Paul's reward, he's reminding them and, and expressing gratitude towards them. He is also reminding them of the abundance of their generosity. Notice this, and this is where you and I who are givers typically have the opportunity to understand better how to give. They do amply well. There's an ample supply for Paul. Notice verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul's still focused on the giver rather than the gift. Paul is more thankful for the giver than the gift. As he looks to the gift, just briefly says, that is an ample supply. That is more than I needed. After affirming the faithful ministry of the Philippians and assuring them of their partnership in his reward, he now speaks just briefly of the gift. Gratitude is expressed, as Paul says, I have received everything in full and in abundance and more than I needed. Acts chapter 28, verse 30, I've cited many times without actually going there. I wanted to give you the reference. Acts 28, 30, write it down and study that later. Briefly, it just says that Paul was under house arrest for two years at his own expense. Two years. In the life of a traveling missionary who was typically impoverished his entire ministry. How would he afford to pay for all of the expenses in Rome on his own dime? It was through the ministry of the Philippians. The joy of gratitude reveals that Paul's back rent and current needs were more than supplied. Paul could say, my accounts in Rome, they've been met. And all the finances that have come in for that have continued to supply not only my needs back, but my needs forward. An abundance that Paul uses, this word that he uses, means to have an excess to literally give more than enough. The Philippian believers gave more than Paul needed. They didn't just say, hey, Paul, we hear that you're a little low on support this month and we want to send you a check. How, how much do you need? They said, we're going to take everything that God lays on our hearts and we're going to send it out to the Apostle Paul. And Paul received more than he needed. In essence, his refrigerator, his closet, his bank account, and his lease are all paid in full. Everything was taken care of. This is the challenge. This is our application for this portion of the text we studied this morning. This is our challenge to us as a church and as individuals. Let us not be stingy to those who take the gospel out on the road and around the world. Let us be generous when they come to us. Let us not give them things we do not want or have already worn out. Let us give with generosity. The encouraging side of Paul's letter of thank you is when you give generously to support the work of God's servants, we are not losing anything. Instead, we are gaining interest 
in the greatest enterprise on planet Earth. The greatest endeavor in the history of planet Earth. One man, and since I've been using Hudson Taylor as an illustration, I'm going to use him again. One man supported Hudson Taylor. As I said, that was not a popular thing back home in England. In England, most churches had withdrew their, withdrawn their support from him, and Hudson Taylor was just barely scraping by, trying to work and preach, teach at the same time. The one man supported Hudson Taylor from the beginning, and his support never wavered. That man's name was George Mueller. George Mueller is the one who would pray for food to arrive or the ability to pay for food would arrive as he sat down in his orphanage with the children around the table with nothing to feed them. George Mueller supported Hudson Taylor from the beginning. On one occasion, Mueller sent a letter to Taylor which read this. This is from the heart of Mueller. He says, My dear brother, the work of the Lord in China is more and more laid on my heart. And hence, I have been longing and praying to be able to assist it more and more with money as well as prayer. Of late, I have especially had the desire to help all the dear brethren and sisters with you. My chief object is to tell you that I love you in the Lord. Isn't that fantastic? I love you in the Lord and that I pray daily for you. I thought it might be a little encouragement to you and your difficulties, your trials, your hardships and disappointments to hear of one more who felt for you and who remembered you before the Lord. Enclosed in that letter was a check that in today's economy would be worth $1,500. This is from a man who sat down to an empty table because he had no money to put food on the table. And food would arrive. Finances would arrive. And he would send some of those finances on to China. Paul reminds that this is the action of spiritual worship. Mueller just illustrated it for us. It's the act of spiritual worship. Paul wants the Philippians to understand that their gift to him was like a spiritual sacrifice laid at the altar the glory, to the glory of God. That's what Mueller is saying. Paul is teaching the Philippians that they haven't simply given him money, but that they've poured an investment. They have done something of which God took note Notice again what he says as we look into verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He says, I've received the funds that you sent and they've paid for my bills and beyond. But I want to focus on what you did I want to focus on the spiritual worship that you have participated in. Paul is teaching 
that their gift wasn't simply a financial transaction. It was an act of spiritual worship. Beloved, when we gather together to worship the Lord together, we do so in song, we do so in the study of the Word of God, and we do so in giving. And in giving, we are not just paying the support of the church or paying the support of missionaries or those who are in need. We are participating in a spiritual act of worship. Whether that is online throughout the week or whether that is in the boxes in the back, we are participating in an act of spiritual worship. Paul draws that out. He says to the Philippians that their offerings were on the same level as the Old Testament offerings of grain or animals to the Lord. The aroma that ascended from those offerings was a sweet, or pleasing aroma to the Lord. And he says the same thing of the Philippians' gift. He's quoting, or he's going back to Exodus chapter 29, verses eight, verse 18 and verse 25. He says, "...the sweet aroma that is wafting to the Lord and the sacrifice of the animals and of the grain is the same sweet aroma that is wafting to the Lord when you have supplied my needs, Philippians." Because they didn't just write him a check. They were participating in worship. Do you know that when you put money in the offering box, do you know that what you did when you offered a servant of Christ your home for rest or a car for travel or bought groceries for a family in need, that your gift wasn't a matter of wealth? It was a matter of worship. It was a matter of Praise to our God. God takes note of what you did. And it will be an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. The Philippians didn't give out of their wealth. They didn't have a large account by which they said, you know what, we've got a lot of money sitting here. Let's let's peel off just a uh, 0.1% ought to cover Paul's needs. And we can... We can recover that quickly, so let's do that financially. And so they take a knife and carve out a little bit and send it on to Paul. That's not what the Philippian church did. That's not what Mueller did. They didn't take out of abundance. They took out of obedience. That is a spiritual act of worship. The amount doesn't matter. The amount that covered Paul's needs was not what Paul was focused on. He was focused on the heart. The Philippians could have given out of an abundance of wealth and still given obediently and sacrificially as they obeyed the Lord. So that's where Paul begins to go as he speaks of God's supply and some encouragement for faithfulness. Out of all of the verses that we have studied This morning, I think, verses 19 and 20 are the two that, in summation, is a great way for Paul to begin to close his letter out. He says, verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Just as we saw last week, 
in the passages that we were studying. And I, I said there is a passage that is very clearly one that has been abused and uh, pulled out of context. That all, takes us all the way back to chapter 4, verse 13, where Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I said that is probably the most misquoted, uh, one pulled mostly out of context. Paul uses another one. It's probably a close second is where we find this verse, and my God will supply every one of your needs. And we typically stop there. God will supply every one of your needs. Paul says, he will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Misunderstood, pulled out of context, misapplied, memorized to mean that God is going to fund anything that I think I need. It's not according to what you think you need. It's according to his riches. What does God say you need? Paul speaks encouragement for the faithfulness of the believers at Philippi. As I said, the Philippians did not give out of their abundance. They gave actually out of their poverty. The first phrase could be translated in verse 19, in return for how you gave to me, God will fulfill your needs lavishly as only he can. In other words, when they evaluated their bank account and they gave sacrificially to Paul, there would be more than their needs needed, more than the requirements of their needs. Keep in mind that Paul isn't promising that God will give you or the Philippians a blank check for you to fill in for whatever you think you might need. You know, I need a really nice boat. I need a really nice house on the lake because I have a boat now. I need an island for my boat. I need, I need, I need. Obviously, those are not needs. Keep in mind that Paul isn't promising that God will give you a blank check and say, fill it in however you want to fill it in. And I'll write you another one. I'll tear it out of my checkbook. He's not saying, here's my credit card, go use it. If anybody ever gives you any grief about using it, just give me a call. The context makes it clear that God will give us what we truly need. What we truly need. Because where does it come from? It comes out of His riches and out of His determination. Out of His glory. He will not allow you to not bring glory to Him. One author says it this way, God is going to meet our needs, not our greeds. God is going to meet our needs, not our greeds. Boy, isn't that a hard, that's a simple statement, but in our materialistic society, isn't that a hard statement to apply? But Lord, you just don't understand, I need this. My neighbors have this. I need it. Paul says, God is going to meet your needs, not your greeds. He reminds the Philippian believers, and I alluded to it a moment ago, but <clears throat> I'm going to speak directly to it. He says that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When Mueller sits down to the table 
and there's a knock at the door, and it's the mailman who can't finish the, or it's rather the milkman who can't finish the rest of his milk route, and he gives milk. What do you think the attitude of praise around the table was? When the bread maker knocks on the door and says, I've got, I've got a truckload of bread that I can't deliver. What do you think the attitude of praise was around the table? Were their needs met? Yes. Was it dramatic? Yes. Do I prefer less dramatic ways? Yes. But God will supply our needs. The Christian life is about trusting God's riches through the glory of God being played out. That doesn't mean we stop working and say, well, God's going to provide everything for us. That is not at all. I shared last week that one of my illustrations last week was when I was in Bible college, I'd go to my mailbox and I'd receive a job offer. That's because I had the ability, the capability. And so we see God working in that way. That is according to his riches as well. When Paul speaks of his riches, God has given to you time, talents, and treasures. How will you use those for the glory of God? That is what Paul speaks of in the riches of his glory. But he moves on, and he moves into this praise, and this is what is fascinating to me. Because we see it that thank you becomes doxology. When you truly have a need, and that need has been met, worship ensues. And that's what Paul does. It is not by coincidence that Paul reaches this point in his letter, and he says, thank you, Philippians, for your faithful support all of these years. It has met my needs and beyond But I thank you all the more that you have become participants in the ministry with me. Your graciousness, your generosity is a fragrant sacrifice to our great God. And I praise the Lord that it has brought to you a compounding spiritual interest. You are laying up treasures in heaven, not simply here on earth. And I praise God. Notice the shift. Verse 19, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours. Verse 20, To our God. Don't let that subtle shift escape your notice. Verse 19, And my God will supply. Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul breaks out in this thank you letter with doxology, with praise, with worship. And he invites the Philippians to participate in that worship with him. He says, my God, in verse 19, and he says, our God. Join with me in singing praise to him. That's what Paul says. He says, join with me in giving glory to our God because of the gift that you have sent and the compounding interest that God has caused to increase to your accounts because you are partners with me. Beloved, you have all been beneficiaries of the gift 
that God used the Philippians to give to Paul. You've all been beneficiaries of it. You've all sat through the series on Philippians. You've been encouraged. You've been challenged. You've become more obedient. This letter was provided, obviously, of the work of the Holy Spirit, but also through the funds that the Philippians provided for the writing supplies, for the proclamation of the gospel that would go back and forth to the Philippians. This shift is inviting the Philippians to join in worship over the work of God in their gift to Paul. And so, Paul says to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, we're going to close in the time in the Word of God and a word of prayer, but as we do so, we're going to then stand again and give glory to God. Let us join in worship together as we transition back to music. We're worshiping through the Word. We're worshiping in music to express our gratitude for God's goodness to us. Let us do so as Paul has demonstrated here. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for the time we could spend looking into a thank you letter. I praise you that Paul's thank you was not just simply, thank you for the gift, but Paul's thank you was an exercise in understanding true gratitude to the Philippians, and even more so a true gratitude to, to you, the giver, through the, your riches for your glory. Lord, we understand that we cannot exhaust your riches in any way. But it's easy for us to look around and see our needs as being that which are actually superficial, unnecessary, I praise you that Paul is quick to point out that you supply the needs that we actually have. So Lord, we know that not every day is this going to be easy and there's going to be a tremendous amount of trust. There's going to be a tremendous amount of faith building. We praise you that Paul, even in those moments, doesn't say to the Philippians, why is no one else joining you? He praises you that they have joined him praises you that they have participated in the worship, in the work, the ministry. And so, Lord, we this morning want to do the same. We think of those who are faithfully giving their lives devoted to service to you and our ability to partnership with them. We praise you for the advancement of the gospel through discipleship and through the proclamation of your word. We pray that they would be all the more fruitful as more and more people come to know you as Savior, but that we would take invested interest in them. Fiscally, yes. Spiritually, all the more. That when we write thank yous to those that we come in contact with, we are now changing the way that we write them. We are glorifying you for the work that you're doing in the giver as well as in the gift. Lord, we praise you for the lessons we have learned today on the Philippians' generosity, Paul's reception of it. May we truly be a gracious people who are a generous people for your glory and for our good. 
Lord, I pray that as we stand in the next few moments to praise you, that we will do so with hearts that have been invited to worship as Paul has invited the Philippians, and that we would say together, glory be to the Father forever and ever. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for it. And it is in Christ's name that we pray it. Amen.